You are back with the conversation, and today we're talking about early education. In our studio, Terry George, he's the president and CEO of uh, Harold Council Foundation. He uh, is here representing the Hawaii Executive Collaborative. It's a group of local leaders looking at ways to tackle issues like education, affordable housing, health, and the environment. Deborah Zeisman is the executive director of the Hawaii Children's Action Network. It's a nonprofit that advocates for children's issues, and it supports public policies that help children and their families. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. So glad you could join us here today. Um, Deborah, why don't we start out with you? What's the cost of child care these days? It is very high, as parents will tell you. So a big part of our work is being out in the community, talking to parents and grandparents about the real issues that impact their families and helping them to share their concerns and share their stories with our decision makers. Uh, we conducted a needs assessment a couple of years ago in partnership with the University of Hawaii at Manoa. And we found that around the state, the average cost of childcare or preschool for three and four-year-olds is about $9,500 a year. And for infants and toddlers, it's actually $13,000 a year. Wow. So in some parts of our state, it's even more expensive than that. Um, so most families are looking at at least $1,000 a month. Um, and again, that's per child. So uh, my children now are in, thankfully, in public elementary school. But a few years ago, I had both of them in child care and preschool here in Hawaii. And my own uh, family's bill at that time was over $3,000 a month when I had a, a toddler and a four-year-old at the same time, which $3,000 a month was a very tight stretch for us. And it was actually far more than what I was paying in rent at the time. So I think this is a major cost burden. And that's what we're, we're taking a look at. How do we reduce those costs and increase access? Is child care more expensive here on Oahu or in the neighbor islands? How does that um, it actually depends on the where you are. So the cost tends to actually be more expensive on Oahu. However, it is easier to find on Oahu. So uh, there are less child care and preschool options for families on the neighbor islands. And we find that more families are having to go with um, unlicensed care or move, you know, one day they're with this auntie, the next day they're with uh, dad who's off of work, the day after that they're with grandma. So they're kind of, kids are kind of not necessarily in one permanent place throughout the week. And Terry, talk about why we felt there had to be this need, this private public partnership? Well, I think we have Aloha United Way to thank for starting a civic conversation about this. When uh, a year and a half or so ago, they, like many United Ways around the country, did a survey um, to determine what families are so-called Alice families, which means in long terms, asset limited, income constrained but employed. In other words, you're working but you're just barely or you're not making it. And they discovered to our collective shock that, or maybe not for most of us who are just barely making it, 48% of our families um, are not able to cover anything more than their bare bones needs of housing, transportation, food, health care, and child care. And actually, at the Hawaii Executive Conference, which is an annual meeting of civic leaders that just got kind of redesigned in 2018, the first session was all about that report, which had just, just come out. And that led to uh, civic leaders to actually want to do something about it. And that led to our interest in this initiative to expand early learning opportunities so all have access to it. Okay, now, you know, the day before the opening of the 2020 state legislature, the governor, Senate and House leaders, and local mm. business executives came together to show a commitment on key issues. Both of you, you know, were there, I think, at that uh, news mm -hmm. conference. Um, uh, one of those issues included access for preschool with the lofty goal of providing access for every three- or four-year-old within 10 years. And then in his uh, State of the State address, David, uh, Governor David Ige underscored that Half of all toddlers, about 20,000 statewide, do not have access to childcare. We want to make an aggressive start right now. Instead of asking working parents to bring their toddlers to us, let's bring these services to them. Whether it's in community centers, in condominium buildings, or in suburban shopping malls. Instead of waiting three years to construct more classrooms, let's look at the empty classrooms and underutilized facilities statewide to see if we can make better use of them. Instead of trying to do all of this, 
with just taxpayer dollars, why not leverage those funds through partnerships with nonprofit and private groups? And we also have a soundbite from Representative Justin Woodson. He's the chair of the House's Lower and Higher Education Committee. He was speaking at that news conference. One of the best things we can do as a state is to provide more access for early learning. So this is something, of course, that the legislatures have struggled with now for literally several decades. And we're having challenges with how to expand both facilities and also the capacity. So this year, to address this issue, what we wanted to do in this joint package is to create a new model to where we can rapidly increase early learning classrooms for not only three-year-olds but four-year-olds across the state of Hawaii. And specifically, we want to work with those populations that are underserviced. These new learning centers will be established under DHS and the idea is to provide opportunities for all of our kids so that they can participate in preparing for the future. Uh, we're going to call this new entity a Learn to Grow Agency and it's going to work and consult with Executive Office of Early Learning to help build out capacity at a much quicker rate. And that's the goal is to do something quickly Right? I mean, yeah. we're behind the eight ball here. Well, Catherine, I think there's a sense of urgency. This morning, I walked uh, down uh, Kauai Ha'o Street, and I walked past two preschools that are almost next to each other, Kauai Ha'o Church Preschool and then the Aha Punana Leo Preschool, both very high quality. I saw children playing on playgrounds, riding tricycles, building with big blocks, working together, learning to work out their little scuffles and differences. That is early learning. And we've learned from all the new neuroscience how important early learning is, because 85% of your brain is wired before you're even five. But then I paused. I saw about 30 kids who were there. They had that opportunity. The problem is there's an equal number, actually slightly larger number of three and four-year-olds in Hawaii who do not have that opportunity. And that is simply not okay. We need to celebrate the people who've built the early learning system we have, and now we need to give them the wherewithal, the ability to innovate, to think outside the box, to serve all of our kids, because that's where the achievement gap starts, and that is just not fair. So uh, what are you seeing out there, uh, particularly like on the neighbor islands? Currently, there's just not a lot of options for families. I think that's the main takeaway here. I think I agree wholly with Terry. I think what we need to do now is we need to look to other places around the world, across the United States that have been able to scale. And I think the main lesson we have learned is if there are resources put into this, that's often been the, the issue. There's not a lot of money. And so what we see right now is parents who can pay, who can write that check, send their children. Families who cannot afford their check, there's not a lot of options. And that's what we're looking to change here. Um, I think it is critical in this expansion, what we've learned from other parts of the world, is just as Terry said, you have to have many different options for different families. We have some amazing Hawaiian immersion programs. We need to expand those. We have programs within our DOE and the Executive Office of Early Learning. How do we expand those more rapidly? How do we expand more of our community programs like Head Start or our community-based preschool? So I think it's really a question of innovation and how do we scale? Right, and I think it was Kamehameha Schools that had started that um, open-door preschool that was a traveling preschool many years ago. Well, there's uh, Partners in Development that started a traveling preschool that largely serves houseless families on the Waianae Coast, a very high quality, very successful. There's been a lot of innovation. Mm -hmm. I think what's been missing until recently, and that's why I'm so excited about where we are now, is a goal and a commitment. So now, um, both with this package of bills that was introduced and in the conversation among early learning providers and civic leaders, it's like, what would it take for us to get this all done in 10 years? And if we hold to that goal, we can figure out together how to get there. But that's the key thing right now, is say to young families or people who are just getting married and thinking about having a child and thinking very, seriously about whether they can afford to stay in the islands that they love rather than moving away, there will be a way that you can make sure that your kids are going to have access to 
good early learning opportunities that will set them up for success later on in their schooling. And the governor, you know, has pushed early learning, and I think last year there was this, a lot of back and forth about who's going to take the lead. Is it DOE? You know, now we're talking maybe DHS. Uh, you know, and so it's it's just been this like ping pong ball back and forth. But hopefully, this is the year that we'll start to you know get that framework in and make progress. Oh, we hope so. I think we know so. Um, but I think the key for us is that there's not one entity that needs to do this. It's an it's going to take all of us kind of thing. It's going to take folks in the community like Terry. It's going to take DOE being involved. It's also going to take Department of Human Services because there are pieces that are child care and child care regulation falls under Department of Human Services. Now, I recall there was a question to voters about whether they should use public money for uh, some of these private programs, right? And, and the voters weren't convinced that was such a good idea. I remember that constitutional amendment, and I think it won on every island except for Oahu. Um, and uh, it's still possible without that constitutional amendment to still expand all the different ways that we offer these early learning seats. Um, but it has, I think, hindered the state until now of figuring out how we can actually act boldly and uh, work as rapidly as we can. I think there's now this gathering sense that we're no longer to let anything stand in our way of doing what's right for kids. Well, you are listening to The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. Our guests in our studio are Terry George from the Hawaii Executive Collaborative and Deb Zeisman of the Hawaii Children's Action Network. Uh, if you're just joining us, we're talking about early education and the efforts to provide access across the state. And please join the discussion by calling us at 941-3689 or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. We have a couple of questions that were emailed to us. Uh, Gwen wants to know, what plan is in place to ensure there are qualified individuals for the early childhood educator positions? Who wants to take that? <laughs> I'll start, and maybe you can layer on, Deb. Um, you know, as important as it is to build classrooms, and there will probably be hundreds of new classroom spaces that we all need to build together in a variety of settings, um, the most important thing in early learning is the teacher, is the early learning specialist. And so we need to dramatically increase the capacity of uh, the University of Hawaii, Shamanad, and other places that currently train our early learning providers. Um, and I hope that as we work to raise, pri uh, you know, civic dollars, social sector dollars, to partner with government dollars, maybe that's a significant part of where we can uh, have the greatest impact early on, is building the capability of more people to move into this hugely important profession. We do not train enough now. I agree, and I think what we've seen in other places is training on the job as well, which is a critical piece. So you can bring people in perhaps with an associate's degree and then at the same time put them through schooling so that they can get up to that bachelor's level degree or master's level degree. Um, we know that an important component though also is how do we ensure we can pay people. Many times our folks who work in childcare and early education are among our lowest paid in the community. They are Alice families themselves living paycheck to paycheck. And how do we make working with young children a desirable profession and one that you can go into with the pride that we know folks have but also ensure you can put food on your own table and pay your own rent at the same time so a number of states are looking at pay parity pieces to make sure that if you are working in a high school setting or an early education setting you are paid the same to um to make sure that we're bringing up the pay and i think that's one of the pieces we are pushing uh, on the table here is we need to make sure we are opening up those pipelines to get more folks trained through all of our education systems that we have, but also making sure that when people are done, they are paid appropriately. Okay, we have another question that was submitted online uh, by Sochi. Uh, uh, they write, well, they've got two children, they've seen their teachers leave Hawaii uh, because they couldn't make ends meet. The proposal's goal of expanding availability of preschools is great, but she's not uh, sh hearing enough about how it's going to ensure that teachers and caregivers are well prepared and supported in these challenging jobs. 
think it's a similar question there. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think we, we are a big proponent of we need to pay both our teachers and our early educators um, what they not only deserve, but what our children deserve. How do we, we need to pay so people will go into this noble profession and stay in it for the long haul? Um, we do know sometimes uh, young people will say they're not going into early education or into teaching because they're concerned they will not be able to you know, ha- have a family or a home as well. And so I think we need to shift that dynamic. Uh, no one goes into teaching thinking they're going to be rich. I think that is fine. Same as nonprofits where, where I work. Um, but how do we make sure that they are not themselves Alice, that people are able to um, live beyond paycheck to paycheck? So we did reach out to a number of uh, folks uh, in this field. Um, we talked to Lauren uh, Moriguchi. She's the director of the Executive Office of Early Learning. And under the proposal um, that uh, lawmakers will be taking up, um, its mission will change from prenatal care to a pre-K, instead focusing on three- and four-year-olds. As we've looked to other states who have expanded public pre-K programs, what we've learned is that it's important to make sure that there's quality as you expand. Um, one of the challenges that we're facing here in Hawaii, and that other states have faced as well, is a shortage of educators who have coursework and background in early childhood education. We've seen in the Department of Education, there's already a shortage with teachers in the K-12 system. It's even more so with early childhood. And I mentioned earlier that it's a complex answer because of the fact that it's very difficult to attract people to a field when the pay is so low. And teachers who work as early childhood educators really get paid less than manicurists or people who are working at department stores or or grocery stores. So if you can't even support your family, it's difficult to attract people into this field. We also reached out to Robin Chun. She's with the University of Hawaii's College of Education. She's seen her students, you know, those will be future preschool teachers, struggle financially. They're paid so little that many practitioners who are working in classrooms where they are teachers or you know, in the assistant teacher position are often depending on public assistance themselves because their wages are so low. They may be needing to use food stamps or be on Quest. To, they, they may need to, you know, have child care connection to even send their children to a preschool. So they make 40% less on average than a public school teacher and yet might have come through several degrees themselves. It's very hard to sustain the workforce. We also talked to Corey Rosenley. He's the president of the Hawaii State Teachers Association. He thinks that there's enough preschool teachers, but they're just teaching elementary school right now. Teachers across the state of Hawaii always support preschool. We know how important it is for our kids be able to be able to go to elementary school with the skills that they need. And we believe we actually have enough qualified preschool teachers currently teaching in elementary schools across the state that we could be able to expand to preschool, but then we need to find a way to replace those elementary school teachers, and that's why they work coordination together. We've got to be able to expand preschool, but at the same time we've got to work with these other bills that are trying to pay teachers better to make sure that we have enough teachers to fill in the gaps and to go teach preschool. So a lot to kind of unpack there, but uh, the pay, right? So you're going to pay uh, preschool teachers a lot less than regular teachers in the public school system? There's no question that we need to do better for our teachers. Um, and um, I think that uh, Corey Rosenley makes a very good point about that, that number one, we actually have quite a number of people who are actually early childhood education trained who are just not teaching now at the very earliest levels. We also have a lot of fabulous teachers in our existing nonprofit preschools who um, may not actually have the level of training needed to move into the public preschool system. So we've got to figure out how to um, even things out. Um, I also wanted to say, though, that despite all of these barriers, the Executive Office of Early Learning in partnership with with the Department of Education has done a remarkably good job. We have dozens more preschool classrooms that are built in dozens of schools that weren't there five years ago. So we 
already have a blueprint on how to do this. I think the difference now is to try to figure out how to more rapidly do this, both to build and support the workforce that we need of well-trained educators in early learning, and also how to build these preschool spaces mostly in elementary school campuses, but also in other places where people live and work or where we have other uh, publicly available lands, such as uh, rail station areas, transit-oriented areas, co uh, community college spaces, um, even downtown private um, businesses who might actually need a place for childcare and early learning for their own workforce. These are all ways that we need to now experiment with and address and move forward in a well thought through but uh, highly committed plan to get us to that 10 year goal. I know when I needed childcare, um, I was fortunate enough to be able to uh, access uh, childcare uh, program that was offered through Kapila and Straub for their, it was set up for their doctors and the nurses, and then when there was space, they opened it up to the community. And what I loved about it as a parent is that, you know, being in news, you didn't really have a lot of holidays, you know, and so it was wonderful that it was available 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. and open on most holidays uh, because doctors and nurses are there working. So, you know, I don't know how common that is these days where you have uh, employers like that offering, you know, programs right on site. So it's become a very common model on, on the mainland, less so in Hawaii, and I think that's an option we're hoping people will take a look at right now. I know we have talked to a few businesses that are contemplating it opening up. In Hawaii right now, there is a child care center at UH. Um, there's one at Castle Hospital. There's not much else that for um, employees, but it's a great model that we see that works well on the mainland where a large company or a collective of companies will go in together, um, often bring in then a, a community provider, you know, one of our, our great community providers to come and operate the program. And often then the, that business is helping to cover some of the costs. So it's not just a family writing the, a check, they're often helping cover the cost, at least for their employees. It might be for their employees, they help cover the costs, and if then it's open for um, others in the community as well. Are you aware of any employers on the neighbor islands? I am not aware of any on the neighbor islands. If any, if anyone knows, please call in and let us know. I, we know this is a thing that families are often asking for. They often want child care in close proximity to where they work. Um, in case the child gets sick, in case, you know, there's traffic, there's things of that sort. So folks usually want childcare and preschool near their place of employment. There's also the time of employment. So, you know, what about people who work in the evening or single parents? So we need to find solutions for them as well. And I think taking more of a, a customer approach, seeing the children and their parents as our customers and meeting them where th they need to be met in terms of ensuring that there's access for early learning for their kids is very, very important. You are listening to The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. Please join our discussion on early education by calling 1-877-941-3689. Stay with us. We'll be right back after a short break. A conflict with Iran. We caught a total monster, and we took him out. A new Mideast peace plan. Today, Israel has taken a giant step toward peace. A contentious impeachment trial. They're impeaching me. You know why? Because they want to win an election. President Trump will have a lot to cover when he addresses a joint session of Congress. I'm Audie Cornish. Join us for live special coverage of the 2020 State of the Union from NPR News. Starting this afternoon at 4. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Hawaii Opera Theater, celebrating Valentine's Day with Mozart's The Marriage of Figaro, the original romantic comedy, February 14th, 16th, and 18th at the Blaisdell. HawaiiOperaTheater.com. We're back with the conversation, and a number of our listeners are emailing questions and not calling, but uh, we have got one question here. Uh, is there a plan to help those currently working in early education to get appropriate credentials or certification to work in the large number of new preschool classrooms ahead of us? Uh, these are individuals who may have the knowledge and experience, but not the right piece of paper. 
<laughs> I think that's a piece of the implementation. I think we're not quite there yet. There's a lot of great conversations happening around the state around some of the, the details of how. But I do feel like we have the foundation in place to be able to expand that. We have some great programs across our UH system. We have Patch, which is a nonprofit organization that helps with tracking the credentialing and offering training. Um, the pieces are there, so it might be how we're putting more resources in to expand that and ensure that people can get the proper credentials. And we actually have things we can build on that we've learned work on the K-12 level. So we have a Grow Your Own Teacher program that Senator Kidani, for example, has been a champion of um, that helps uh, community-based teachers receive support in the form of tuition and else, uh, other things so that they can go ahead and get their teaching certificate and degree. Um, in Peace in the community offers a similar program for community-based people who can move from being uh, educational assistants or aides into actually full-scale teachers. Why can't we do that for early learning? I think it's possible. I think another um, related piece that a number of states have been investing in as well that Hawaii should look at in this opportunity is usually with the Department of Human Services, they have actually looked at this as small business development as well and set up programs to really help new people to open child care, to help walk them through and often to provide fu startup funding, either um, low interest loans or grants, because to start up a program, for example, you have to uh, buy all the materials and uh, you know all, all the things that are not inexpensive to start up. Um, and so there's been big initiatives in many states to help with startup costs, but also walking people through the process. So not just the credentialing, but how do you go through the proper licensing, the paperwork? Because in many ways, this is a small business startup that we're talking about, and we want to see more of it. That, that can be sometimes complex and confusing. If you're interested in starting this up, how do we have a little more hand-holding to make it an easy, seamless process? Okay, we have another question uh, from Sherilyn. With this bill limiting funding to center-based care, how will we recognize the needs of all families who want other choices when what is offered does not fit their cultural beliefs or their schedule? So I believe that we actually need to have a variety of early learning opportunities. Um, you can have high-quality experiences in early learning in nonprofit preschools, in public preschools, in Head Start, in community and ohana programs. Um, and so we need to support and lift up all of those. And my hope is that that's the kind of system that we're going to continue to grow in Hawaii. And uh, we have another question from Jason. Uh, HEC is committing $150 million to this initiative. Uh, why don't they use it on private preschools, uh, scholarships to pay for children of Alice families? Uh, why are they going through the state when they can go through the private sector? So there will be a variety of ways in which civic social sector dollars will be used to sort of build and expand the number of preschool seats and the teachers who can teach the, the, the children in early learning spaces. But it's important that those dollars work to build a system that will last so that we really make sure that we're not temporarily making a patch to support the current three and four-year-old population what about the three and four-year-olds that are going to come 10 years from now or 20 years from now? We need to make sure that there's a system that supports them all. So we'll be probably investing a lot in early capacity and in experimentation and in teacher recruitment and training. We often hear that you know, the devil's in the details, right? And, and as these bills uh, make their way uh, through session, yeah, you're, you're going to be looking at, okay, what piece goes here, what piece covers there. Um, so, yeah, there's probably some some deep discussions that we'll be having over, over or how the money's kind of doled out. I think there are, but that's the work ahead. I think right now we're looking at some of the big picture pieces. How do we get it done? How much money is it going to take? And who are the right people that need to then come to the table to figure out those the small details over the next 10 years? I think the critical piece for us to think about, though, is that Hawaii is now thinking about child care and early learning as an important part of our infrastructure. That was not always the case. And as Terry said, this is a piece to be sustained. Just like we think about our K-12 schools, those are part of our infrastructure. We don't doubt that we need good K-12 schools. We don't doubt we need good roads and technology infrastructure. Um, 
We need excellent child care and early learning opportunities for our children, and it needs to be in the long haul. This is not a short-term piece. This is in perpetuity. Families are working. It's a wonderful thing that we have more women in the workforce. Um, I personally think that is great, but it does mean that the days of a stay-at-home mom or even a stay-at-home auntie or grandma are largely behind us. People are working. They, they are in professional jobs. That is a good thing for our state and our economy, but it means we need to build out it is infrastructure. I don't mean that to be crass. We're taking care of children. But it is an essential part of sort of the community that, that you, you need. In the same way we need good roads um, and good telecommunications to sort of function, we ne- families need good child care. And we need- well, you know, I'm thinking Head Start has been around forever. Why don't we just expand Head Start? I think we should. Mm-hmm. I think uh, that is part of the solution. Um, Head Start currently serves about 3,000 children, I want to say, Deb, in the state. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a proven, successful program. Um, And so we definitely need to look at that. That is uh, currently funded with federal dollars, which is great. And the question is, how do we add these state dollars and social sector dollars to expand it? One thing I wanted to mention is that the economists, who are Nobel Prize winning economists, now are arguing that this is actually one of the single greatest investments you can make in your community. Better than building a new stadium or giving tax breaks to great big manufacturing firms to bring their auto plant to your state, which of course is never going to happen in Hawaii anyway. But it's an enormous return on the dollar just from the public fiscal situation because children who have these early learning opportunities are then successful all the way through school, requiring less remediation all the way through. They're employed at higher rates. They earn uh, at higher rates. Therefore, they're taxpayers, and those tax dollars go back uh, 20 years later to, um, to the public system to be used for all sorts of public needs. Do you have any thoughts on why we haven't expanded in Head Start? Why we haven't expanded yeah. Head Start? I mean, um, it's been I mean frankly, for a long time. frankly, it is among the most expensive programs out there um, because it is so good. So Head Start has uh, full wraparound programs. There's health programs included. There are social service programs. It's fantastic. I've always said if every child could have Head Start, the world would be a better place. It is one of the most expensive models, though, to grow and replicate. But I think it is, especially for our children that have experienced trauma, especially for our lowest income children, having a very holistic program that does provide health, human services, counseling, family support as well, not just um, some basic preschool, but it's, you know, making sure the kids get to the dentist and the doctor and all those pieces too, I think is great. And that's going to set children up in the way we want for that healthy foundation when they are young and give them that leg up. I recall there was one, I think, by um, Cujillo Park Terrace. Mm-hmm. There was a school there, and I remember Congresswoman um, Maisie Hirono, you know, out there just pushing for early education, and that was, you know, a few decades ago. Yep, Head Start is phenomenal and has um, some of the highest standards of quality. You know, we did also reach out to uh, school superintendent Christina Kishimoto. Uh, she says that, you know, she believes there's enough space for the initial push of classrooms, but the full build-out should take into consideration private and public spaces? For the initial first few years and the first few hundred classrooms, yes, there there should be enough spaces, whether in the public education systems, you know, within our uh, schools or within private provider space, other public spaces like libraries or in uh, ground level spaces at private businesses. So certainly we can come up with several hundred spaces throughout the the state. Uh, As we get closer to what the legislature is talking about, you know, a a thousand new classrooms, uh, we we will at some point need to start talking about where do we build out additional classrooms. The interesting piece is with private sector at the table with us, we can also encourage whether it's new housing that's being built or new uh, private sector spaces that are being built to proactively build this into their spaces, whether it's a bank or another kind of agency uh, that they can actually put this into their spaces. We also talked to uh, Department of Human Services Director uh, Pankaj Bhatnod. Uh, he was clear that his department should take the lead, but it would not build the child care centers. 
Department of Human Services' responsibility when it comes to child care services is twofold. One is to regulate child care in the state of Hawaii, and that is uh, licensing different type of settings like group child care centers, which are uh, all these private preschools and family child care homes and family child care centers. Uh, we also provide child care subsidies for eligible families. They have a choice to send their children to any setting they choose to send their children to, whether it's preschool or family child care home or center, or to have their children watched by relatives, neighbors, friends, and whoever they want, uh, as long as they are qualified providers and they meet certain background checks and other criteria. That's who we are as Department of Human Services. We are not in the business of bricks and mortar to build classrooms, private classrooms, to do massive renovations to facilities. This is not who we are. And we are not an educational agency either. Right. And so we know the talk is for this program uh, to be a part of DHS uh, because that was a rub last year. Yeah, it was a rub last year. Um, we need to be careful to clarify um, who does what, but we also need to recognize everybody is going to have a role and responsibility, be it the Department of Education, uh, Department of Human Services, the Executive Office of Early Learning. They all have a role to play, and the key thing is to have sort of as strong an amount of interagency collaboration as absolutely possible. Um, I salute the superintendent, and I love her um, passion for this work. Um, and I salute um, Lauren Moriguchi and the Executive Office of Early Learning for having worked so closely with the D Department of Education. The uh, Department of Human Services plays a critical role to play, and their new mission is really uh, fabulous and inspiring. It's really to disrupt poverty and really provide everything that's needed. And their strength is that they can work with um, people at, at the prenatal stage all the way through um, education uh, up to the level where we, we actually call it education. So they're all necessary and they're all needed. Um, what we also need to recognize, though, is that um, we need to th um, think differently, as Superintendent said, and as I think Lauren Moriguchi said about where learning, early learning takes place. So the idea of it taking place in libraries, perhaps in high schools, high schools where they already have a teaching academy to encourage kids to go into teaching. All uni University of Hawaii campuses, all 10 of them, um, private spaces, public housing or new private housing spaces, all those are going to be part of the solution. We need to figure out how we can build it th as quickly as we can at the lowest cost that we can with the quality that ne we need for good outcomes for kids. You know, we have another email. Uh, Mike from the Big Island uh, wants to know, he says, what's the commitment to the neighbor islands? As a resident of the Big Island, I see more advancements for Oahu schools over the uh, neighbor island schools. I agree with Mike. I think all of our data shows the biggest need is actually on the neighbor islands. And so I think that will be our big push at the table is to make sure um, that there's family choices. It's not one size fits all, that there's different options for different families around the state. But actually, while the need is great on Oahu, the need is crisis level when we start talking about the neighbor islands. So we will be pushing very strongly that a lot of the investment needs to be on islands other than Oahu. Right. For example, Big Island, you've got farther to drive, uh, you know, if you have fewer programs and fewer spaces. I mean, I recall, you know, thinking back to my experience, when my son was born, there were lots of babies born that year, and that large number of children kind of followed him around. It was just more competitive uh, with schools, with child care slots. And then uh, several years later, I saw uh, preschool programs that were offering like, you know, one month of free preschool if you, um, if you sign up because all of a sudden then there was a contraction uh, of our uh, population. So it, it was fascinating for me to, to kind of see, you know, the, the right. ebb and flow of, of uh, where things are going. That's why we need to build for the long haul for those ebbs and flows of demographic trends, and we absolutely need to build where it's needed the most. Uh, build these additional seats and classrooms and train teachers. And certainly, I think the Big Island is the area of greatest need, unmet need right now for kids. So my hope is that we prioritize those areas first. We have another question from Brooke. How are we making sure there is consistency in the quality of various programs? 
So that is where we have the early learning board that has been was created a few years ago and has governance on looking at quality of these programs. So they are looking at the quality of programs, whether they are in the Department of Education, Office of Early Learning, or how do we increase the quality? What is the quality standards for Department of Human Services? This is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. Our guests in our studio, Terry George from the Hawaii Executive Collaborative and Deb Zeisman of the Hawaii Children's Action Network. We're talking about early education. We've got uh, some time still on the clock. If you want to join the discussion, call us at 941-3689 or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Um, I'm going to go back to one thing because, uh, you know, there was a concern that if there's focus on three- and four-year-olds, what's going to happen to that zero to three? So are we going to make sure that we're not just neglecting that group? Well, we think that's critical, right? We work with families around the state and talk about what's their actual need. So we know that families really struggle with finding infant and toddler care. Um, In some parts of our islands, there are no licensed or registered infant and toddler care providers. That's true on Molokai, Lanai, and barely any on the Big Island. So on the Big Island right now, it is about 70 children for every one licensed infant and toddler spot. It's pretty, it's a little bit scary. Um, So I, I don't think we're giving that up. I think that is, we have a new early childhood state plan that many of the community have worked on. For, for over two years that just came out in 2019, and it does look at that spectrum. That is also the purview of the Early Learning Board and the Office of Early Learning, and the commitment, I think, of many in the field is to take a look at what do families need from prenatal up to kindergarten. There's many different issues. At the same time, we have a moment of opportunity right now where many people are coming together and saying, let's keep looking at the whole system for our young kids and how do we really ramp up our programming for our threes and fours? So I think it's a both and. We're doing both at the same time. Uh, anything else you want to add there? Um, I guess I would completely agree with you, Deb, that it's we need to meet all of these needs for the youngest and most vulnerable um, of our community. And I think the measure of the resiliency of a community is how we take care of the most vulnerable among us and when we can make the most difference for their success. So um, we are talking about building a system with an eye to meeting those needs ever younger. But currently the goal is to start with um, building universal access for all three and four year olds, but build it in such a way as their younger siblings needs can ultimately be taken care of as well. Yes, uh, another email along this line, uh, Sherilyn says that uh, you know, we focus on three and four-year-olds. Uh, are we eliminating support for critical years of brain development, prenatal um, to age two, when executive functions of working memory, emotional regulation, cognitive flexibility are built? Sounds like somebody who knows what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Will the bill be changed to ensure that we do not exclude support from this age group? I'm not sure this bill will be changed. I think it is fairly focused on three- and four-year-old expansion. But I I agree with Sherilyn. We need to really do look at our families with infants and toddlers. We know that parents go back to work often when babies are two or three weeks old. Families in Hawaii still do not have paid family leave to stay at home and do that caregiving. Um, So it's critical. Where does a child go when it's a month old? There are not a lot of quality, licensed and certainly not affordable places to send the child. Many folks do not have family in the islands, or frankly, even if they do, families we speak with say, I thought my mom was going to help out with childcare, but my mom works full time, because that's the reality of, of how our families are getting by. So I think that is critical that we need to be taking a look at this combination of things like paid family leave, quality choices for infants and toddlers, and quality options for the preschool-aged children who are three and four. Okay, we have a call coming in from Kailua. Dana, what's on your mind? Hi. Hi. <laughs> I can't help but call in because uh, I, I just thought to myself, I pay my cleaning lady $35 an hour who has a high school diploma, and why is it educators are paid so low if there's such a demand for this? Who sets the salaries for these early educators? It just seems ridiculous to be paid. So they're they're in poverty. It's a great question. So I will tell you, right now the issue is the 
formula that we use in Hawaii and in most of America does not work out. So the way we pay for childcare right now is a family goes to a childcare provider, generally a nonprofit, and they write a check. And the family feels very squeezed, right, because they're paying $1,200 a month sometimes. That's pricing the family out. But because you need um, a low ratio of adults to children when we're talking about small children, we're talking about infants, toddlers, and preschoolers, you, you cannot have 30 children in a room with one adult, right? So the way it works out is it's, it is costly. It is more costly to provide preschool than it is K-12 education because you need more adults, the, the ratio has to work out that way. The problem that we have in our country is it is just right now, parents pay a check to that nonprofit. In many other parts of the world, you have either government funding coming in, as the, there needs to be some additional funding. Either government needs to come in and help pay for those services, which is I think what we're talking about today, or what we've seen also in some parts is companies are coming in and picking it up. The other, because otherwise, the way it pencils out, those poor nonprofit community providers are doing the best they can, but they have a certain amount of money. That's what they can afford to pay their staff. And I'll just add that, um, just so no one has a misimpression about um, the nonprofit providers, I've seen their balance sheets, and they are barely, barely making it. So. No one is making money off this, unfortunately, right now. And, and actually, they have been key to actually building a system of scholarship dollars and endowments that help to provide additional support for those families who can't afford the full tuition. We also have things like Preschool Open Doors, administered by the Department of Human Services, I think started by Senator Hirono um, mm -hmm. uh, many years ago, that have all been uh, aimed at trying to address this, this problem of affordability. But it's nobody's making money off this. Right. Um, the solutions, though, are found, I think, in the other states. Um, sadly, virtually every state is ahead of where we are right now in Hawaii. So we can learn a lot from how they ended up being, being able to expand access, train and support and recruit a workforce, maintain quality, and provide good outcomes for kids. So we do not have to reinvent the wheel ourselves. And we do have the situation where they are, you know, hoping that there's some agreement on raising the minimum wage. We all know mm -hmm. that many people work, you know, two, three jobs just to make ends meet, and whether it's paying your, you know, that big nut of childcare, it, it, it is rough. And, you know, there's efforts to provide, you know, family leave, lots of things on the table to kind of raise, um, raise our community up. Yeah, and that's why I'm excited that the governor and the legislative leaders all stood together and they said, we know there's not one silver bullet, but we've got four or five different things that we want to do right now on wages, on tax benefits, on housing, and on childcare and early learning that combined are going to make a significant difference now and in the future for the very working families, the Alice families, that really deserve to be supported and are such an important part of our community. We need to do better by all of our families. And this, this com combination approach, I think, is really promising. I did talk to a state employee yesterday who had mentioned, yes, when he saw the news conference, he saw it as, oh, it's the kumbaya package, <laughs> where everybody <laughs> was, you know, in agreement that uh, this was something important to the community and we needed to come together. Um, I think there's a realization both in the nonprofit, the business, and the legislative folks that this is a critical problem, that we are seeing loss of our workforce, right? People are moving out of the state. And the folks who are moving out of the state are those with young families and those who have a college degree. It's the exact type of workers that we want to actually bring to our state, not, not see lost to other states. Where we are seeing them move to are states that have better kind of community and family benefits than we do. Where there is either a higher, um, higher salaries, lower cost of housing, better childcare benefits, things like paid family leave. We know those are, if you talk to millennial workers, that's what they're looking for. Is there a good community environment to live, work, and raise my family? And I think that is the point of this package, is coming together to say, what do we need to do to make Hawaii a desirable place, not just to come on vacation, but to live and work and raise a family? That's what we want, is that people can stay, and that actually will attract that workforce we need. We have a couple of minutes left. Any final thoughts just about where we're at as we try and tackle this issue? 
Well, I think we're extremely excited that there is energy and enthusiasm from so many different parts of the community right now. It is a bit of a puzzle, and I think that's what we're talking about. There's different pieces and components to it. It's not one magic solution. Um, it's going to take the Department of Education. It's going to take the Office of Early Learning, Department of Human Services, community, and business coming together to put together that that the puzzle pieces, the different combination to make it happen. But people are really committed. People are committed to coming together over multiple years and doing the hard work, um, making the funding commitments to put this in place. Terry George, what about you? This is not a kumbaya package of initiatives. This is stuff that we have to do if we believe that that we are a, a state of aloha, a state where we care about our families and our communities. This is the right thing to do. It's also... Um, a, a great thing to do economically. It actually puts more money in fa- working families' pockets, allows them to go to work quicker because their kids will be in um, a safe, uh, uh, high-quality learning experience, um, and it's better long-term for the kids. It's the right thing to do. Uh, I, you had uh, mentioned when we started this program that uh, there was a study done, a uh, needs assessment. Um, do we need to update that, do you think? Uh, we will. We have a plan to actually update it in another year or two um, so that to do every five years. So it's just a couple of years old right now to take a look at the data. And so will there be, uh, I'm hoping as, as this bill uh, progresses through the legislature, also some uh, like reassessment, like a 360, like how are mm-hmm. we doing on this? Right. I think the idea will be it's moving through session this year. How is it going? But probably year after year in those 10 years, how are we building out? Okay. All right. Um Uh, We would like to thank our listeners. We'd like to thank our guests, Deb Zeisman of Hawaii Children's Action Network and Terry George from the Hawaii Executive Collaboration uh, for joining us on today's show. And if you have a question or a comment and it didn't make it on air, uh, please contact the Talkback line. And if you want to listen back to today's show, check out the Conversation podcast at hawaiipublicradio.org. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of the conversation.